On February 14, 1939, Americans everywhere were celebrating Valentine's Day. Postmen would deliver sealed envelopes. Boys and girls would place at the doorsteps of their friends small slips of paper with brightly colored pictures. Each contained a greeting, a message of love, for Valentine's Day is a day of love. However, on this same day, far from America's shores, at Hamburg, Germany, another holiday was being celebrated. A more somber mood prevailed. Amidst fervent speeches, the cheering of the crowds, the playing of the national anthem, the new battleship Bismarck rumbled into the river Elba. This, the most powerful vessel afloat, carried not a message of love. Rather, the Bismarck bristled with weapons of war. The Colossus was a spectacle of engineering and armament. Over 57,000 blueprints went in the construction of the 406-millimeter triple turret radar-controlled guns. 28,000 miles of electrical conduit spanned the vessel, and 35,000 tons of armor plate provided safety. The Bismarck was considered unsinkable. And then something happened. Majestic in appearance, gigantic in size, awesome in firepower, the Bismarck's day of destiny dawned on May 24, 1941, when two of the most powerful battleships of the British Navy, the Prince of Wales and the Hood, engaged in combat the Bismarck and its sister vessel, the cruiser Prince Eugen. In four minutes, the Bismarck put the Hood to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, along with all but three of a crew of 1,419 men. Then the British, seeing that their Prince of Wales also was badly damaged in the fray, brought to bear the firepower of eight battleships, two aircraft carriers, 11 cruisers, and 21 destroyers to seek and sink the Bismarck. Shell after shell struck the Bismarck but rendered only superficial damage. But then a lucky hit by a torpedo jammed the ship's rudder, and all efforts from the damage controlmen could not rectify the problem. With her guns at the ready, her crew manning them, all the Bismarck could do was sail a slow and stately circle. Just beyond that circle was the help of the powerful German Air Force, the safety of home port, but neither could be reached. No rudder, no help. No rudder, no port. The Bismarck had lost the capacity to sail a charted course. The end drew near. Amidst the blazing guns of the British fleet, the German crew scuttled and sank the once proud vessel. The hungry waves of the Atlantic first lapped at the sides and then swallowed the pride of the German Navy. The Bismarck was no more. Like the Bismarck, you and I represent miracles of engineering. Only we are not limited by man's genius. For although a man may invent the most marvelous of a machine,
he cannot give it life or give it the capacity to think and to reason. Why? Because these are divine gifts bestowed solely at the discretion of God. God has provided you and me a circulatory system to keep all channels clear and open, a digestive system to ensure strength and vigor, and a nervous system to provide that all parts are in constant communication and coordination. In short, God gave us life and with it the capacity to think, to reason, to choose, to decide, and to love. Like the rudder of a ship, we also have been provided the means whereby we can sail a charted course. I like to feel that the lighthouse of the Lord signals to you and me as we sail the seas of life. Our home port is the celestial kingdom of God, and we shall arrive there if we will but follow a true and undeviating course. For a man without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder, not likely to reach home port. I would like to further add that as we recognize in a ship like man the strength, the power of the turbines, the power of the propellers are useless without the harnessing of the energy, the direction of the power, the rudder. Relatively small in size, obscured from view, it is all important to our success. Our Heavenly Father gave us the sun, the moon, the stars, heavenly galaxies to guide mariners as they ply the lanes of the sea. And to you and to me, those of us who walk the pathways of life, He has given us the counsel, watch out for the detours, stay away from the swamps, avoid those cunning pied pipers of sin who would lead us astray. Pray always, be constant, listen to that still, small voice which yet whispers, Come, follow me, and as we do, we shall turn from that pathway which would lead us to death and destruction, and we shall follow that course which will lead us to joy and life eternal. This can be our blessing. But unfortunately, there are those who will not listen. There are those who choose to disobey, who listen to the beat of a different drummer. Chief among their number was that son of Adam, born of Eve, even Cain, the best-known name among men, but a name given to only one. Powerful of potential, weak of will, he permitted envy and greed, eventually jealousy and murder, to jam his spiritual rudder that would have taken him to life eternal, and Cain fell. The downward gaze had replaced the upward look. Perhaps more relevant to our day would be that person of power, that cardinal of the cloth, described by William Shakespeare as Wolsey. Shakespeare, with his pen, explained to us the majestic heights, the pinnacle of power, which Wolsey attained, and then that same pen told of the tragic descent, of what happened when principle was eroded by expediency and a clamor for public office. In the depths of despair, one who had gained everything and then lost all, Cardinal Wolsey 
described his condition to his faithful servant, Cromwell. I feel the language is close to scripture. He said to Cromwell, Take an inventory of all I have. To the last penny, tis the king's, my robe, my integrity to heaven, all that I dare now call my own. Oh, Cromwell, Cromwell, had I but served my God, with half the zeal I served my king, he and mine age would not have left me naked to mine enemies. His spiritual rudder had jammed. Like many before him and others yet to follow, Cardinal Wolsey fell. At another time, and by a wicked king, a servant of the Lord was tested. Through inspiration, Daniel, son of David, interpreted for the king the writing on the wall. In response to the proffered gifts, Daniel said to the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. But the king Belshazzar and his successor Darius, they honored Daniel. They elevated him to positions of power. And this brought forth the envy of the crowd, the jealousy of the princes, and the scheming of ambitious men. And as Elder Groberg indicated, scheming men through trickery and deceit persuaded the king to sign into law an edict which provided that any person who made any request to any god or any man other than to the king would be thrown into a den of lions. In short, prayer was forbidden. But Daniel owed his allegiance in these things not to a king of earth, but to the king of heaven and earth, he prayed to God. And overtaken in prayer, he was brought before the king, and the sentence was read, and Daniel was thrown to the den of lions. I like the biblical account which followed. As I recall it, the king retired to his castle and devoted the entire evening in fasting, and his sleep went from him. And the king arose early in the morning, and with haste went to the den of lions. And as he came to the den, he cried out in a lamentable voice to his friend Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to save thee from the lions? And then Daniel answered back, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and hath stopped the mouths of the lions that they have not hurt me. And the king was exceeding glad. And when Daniel was brought forth from the den, it was discovered there was no matter of hurt upon him. For Daniel had believed in his God. He had sailed that steady course which he had charted. And in a moment of crisis, he was provided divine protection and a sanctuary of safety. My dear brothers and sisters, the clock of history and the sand in an hourglass mark the passage of time. A new cast of characters occupies the stage of life. We are among them. We look at the problems of our time. We wonder to whom we should look for help. Let us wonder no longer. Let us look heavenward. And as we do, that God to whom we pray will guide our passage on the sea of life. I learned this anew just a few years ago when Fultman Brown, 
then the Director of Mormon Relationships of the Boy Scouts of America, came to my office and told me that his sister, Belva Jones, was suffering from terminal cancer. She was a widow. She worried about her son on a mission in far-off New Zealand. Knowing that I was going there, would I break the news to her son? She was fearful that it would destroy him. I flew to New Zealand. I met with Elder Ryan Jones. I told him of the approaching death of his mother. Tears were shed, not all his. Then he stood and said to me, Tell my mother I love her. Tell her that I will complete an honorable mission. And tell her that I will yet see her alive in mortality. I returned to Salt Lake, barely enough time to change my clothing, repack my bag, pick up my ticket, and I was off to my conference for the weekend. It was the Lost River Stake in Moore, Idaho. As I sat on the stand that Sunday morning next to the stake president, I noted that the sunlight was streaming in the east window, enveloping the lone occupant of a front bench. I said to the stake president, Who is the woman on the front bench on whom the sunlight is resting so unusually this morning? He said, Oh, Brother Monson, her name is Belva Jones. She has a son in far-off New Zealand on a mission. She is very ill. Would you give her a blessing? I said, Of course I will. That was the first that I knew that Belva Jones lived in the Lost River Stake at Moore, Idaho. My conference appointment that weekend could have been to any one of 70 stakes. But the Lord sent me to the only stake where there was a grieving widow, perilously ill, who needed to hear a first-hand account of how her son in New Zealand responded to the problems of their family. A blessing was given. A prayer was offered. A witness was received. Belva Jones would yet see her boy in mortality. And she did. One month before her passing, his mission concluded. Ryan Jones returned home. As you and I, my brothers and sisters, embark on our voyages, may we sail safely the seas of life as we take with us the firm rudder of faith. Our passage will lead us safely home. Home is the sailor, home from the sea, home to family, home to friends, home to heaven, and home to God. May such be our blessing in this life would be my prayer, and I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.